they got 60 million ounces that uh, were delivered to India in, in the month of October, 10 million ounces into China in the month of October. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics, as once again, it is time for our weekly physical silver report. And sorry to everyone uh, that I know we missed our show last week. I was traveling doing site visit on a uh, mine in Mexico. So back down south of the border for a couple of days. And also we did have the Thanksgiving week and hopefully everyone had a good holiday out there. Although back to it in a new week of trading where on Monday, the price of silver was up back into positive territory on the year. And fortunately to dig into that as well as any activity that is happening on the retail physical level is Andy Sheckman who joins me each week. So Andy, it's nice to catch up with you again after a week off and how's everything going with you today? You too, my brother. Happy Thanksgiving to you and everyone else out there. It's good. It's uh it's good. It's really kind of shocking that the year is wrapping up. We're already near December. And um, typically in this industry, things start to kind of fade off into the sunset right around this time. I have a feeling that's not going to happen this year. But nonetheless, it's good to be back, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate that. And again, interesting to think back to last year where we had one of those, pre those periods where premiums had spiked and there was lack of availability in a bunch of project products leading up to Thanksgiving, then things calmed down. Um, any difference in what you've seen so far this week with the price being in positive territory for this year? I, I mean, it's not as if we had a raging bull market, which has caught people's attention yet. Uh, any change in the sentiment or order flow in, in terms of seeing silver rally back uh, a good fair amount over the past month and a half? I think we're on the cusp of it. Um, it's one of these deals where, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me 775 times, shame on me type of deal where, you know, we're right there at the moving averages, we're right there at the cup and handle, all the technical indications, all of the convergence of the, you know, the, the, the rising wedge and all of these technical indicators say we're right there. And the world, the vents say, we're, we're right there. We're, we're living on borrowed time. And it hasn't happened. And I think that that's, you know, what have you done for me lately type of deal. And while there's a, a piece of me that is wholly optimistic that we will see the price move into a, a territory where, where it actually deserves to be. I mean, you know, you mentioned just at the, at the onset here that that you were on a site visit you were you were visiting a mine in um, uh, in Mexico and I think that that's interesting because you know if you if we look at that from a standpoint of what's been going on with mine uh, supply we read from the Silver Institute that silver mine production fell to its second lo lowest year ever over the past 10 years. Uh, with the exception, I think, of last year, which was lower, if I'm not mistaken. But at the same time, industrial demand grew to its highest level ever. So you have a, a weak supply and a very strong demand, uh, not to mention 
you know, the last three years have been really hallmarked in this industry by silver demand, more so than gold. So you have industrial demand rising, you have uh, monetary demand rising, and according to the Silver Institute, you have supply, mine supply, falling uh, for the second year in a row. And, and you know, I, I'm not going to comment of, on the pickaxe article other than to say well, the pickaxe wrote a very compelling article about silver's role in the industrial military industrial complex as well and all the demand for silver that is growing in a world where wars aren't stopping where green and digital aspirations and utilities are not ceasing where people are questioning fiat currencies and i think in many respects, look at silver not as an industrial metal, but as money. It is ridiculously, and this is all evidence that it is ridiculously priced too low, in my opinion. But it hasn't translated yet into rising premiums, into decreasing availability, or into an increased awareness to the mainstream. Shockingly, it hasn't. In my mind, I believe we will see that moment. I don't know when it will be or or what will trigger it. I guess I believe it will be something to do with the banking problem. But it will come to a point where we will have an environment like we see now to 180 degree difference, one that will be chaotic, one that will be um, in an accelerating fashion. It will go from flush availability and low premiums to the antithesis of that, to the opposite of that, to more of what we've seen over the past four years. So honestly, I mean, it's like we bottomed out on premiums and and the wholesalers and the retailers are flush with products. So it will go down maybe after it all plays out, there'll be greater clarity. But to me, Chris, it goes down right now as one of the greatest mysteries of my career why the public refuses to see what I see so clearly, what you see so clearly, what people listening to the show see so clearly, and what it will take for that awareness to be brought to the forefront. We're not there yet, not even by a a large margin, we're not there. Um, But yet I really do believe it's coming. And um, for those who are who have been cost averaging, those who have been de-dollarizing, well, you, you've picked a great time to do it. You're not too late. A lot of people think, well, maybe we're too late. No, you're not even close to it. So um, it's a great time to be accumulating gold and silver. I think there's very little downside in silver right now and, and massive upside. So no, nothing, we haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe that we are that close to that moment where crossing over that Rubicon where, look, I mean, just based just based upon industrial and monetary demand versus a second year in a row of shortfalls in mine supply, it should be a whole hell of a lot higher. Not to mention so many of these deals that we're seeing where silver is disappearing off of the exchanges. It's being done so in a way that uh, it's very difficult to see. It's like being taken right from the source or coming out of the ETFs or you know, you got 60 million ounces that uh, were delivered to India in, in the month of October, 10 million ounces into China in the month of October. 
uh, 25.8 million ounces uh, in Turkey in 2023 in silver imports. You know, all the 3.53 million ounces of silver that came out of the ETFs on Friday of last week. I mean, so, you know, where's it all coming from? Where's it all going? And why aren't the prices reflective of it is a mystery to me. But I believe it will like that switch. I don't know what the switch is that triggers that moment, but in, in my heart, so help me God, I believe that, that that that's coming. Well, I can understand that. I mean, obviously we have where the physical metal is going and then the fact that it's priced on the COMEX where trading is usually more related to what the dollar is doing, what the Fed is doing. And, you know, you can have a deficit, but if you don't reach a, a break point where there's a failure to deliver, deficit doesn't often matter on a day-to-day -day basis and suppose maybe that's why it gets tricky because there's a couple different components there is the actual physical supply and demand um, of course there's the monetary aspect and then of course there's what the hedge funds and banks are doing as they do get out together on the exchange what's interesting though as you mentioned how india did have that 60 million ounce import figure which Last year at this time, we were talking pretty regularly about how India was on pace and did end up setting records for the amount of silver that they drew in and basically gone cl close to zero on a monthly basis this year. And we do have festive season in India right now. So perhaps that accounts for some of the increased demand, although number was basically double of what we saw last year in India. So but, you know, you said something, Chris, you said until we see a market failure and they know that that's maybe why we saw the rise of exchange for physical. And I also think this is why we're seeing silver is traded over the counter for lack of a better uh, definition. Uh, and I think you're seeing deals in both gold and silver in increasing quantities being done off exchange for that reason. And, and it, it, I just, it, Supply and demand is being sat satisfied elsewhere. And whether that means BlackRock taking huge possession off of PSLV or authorized participants draining the ETFs or exchange for physical or draining the Shanghai Gold Exchange, or they're getting more creative, going directly to the mines, directly to the source. They're getting more creative. I mean, I think it, it, it reeks of the end, the end of the game. I mean, because in 2020, they took so much silver off of the COMEX, it was more than we typically would see in, in a decade. Well, that caught everyone's attention. Well, then they shift to exchange for physical. And then they start taking it out of the ETFs. And, you know, you got Keith Newmeyer saying he goes to a conference a few months ago. And for the first time ever, you see auto manufacturers at these conferences who are looking to disintermediate COMEX and the bullion banks and go right to the first majestics of the world. And and buy silver that way. So I think it it's an environment where all of these countries, I think, would be remiss to let us know exactly what they are producing and or importing. And if they are able to accumulate with greater uh, with greater um, privacy, I think it behooves them. And I have a feeling that, you know, depending upon who you talk to, the gold held by Russia and China is many, 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 many times higher than what they are telling us. Well, I would think the same thing would be true with silver. Yeah, and speaking of China, we did have an interesting note from Vince Lancey, who does our Monday show, and 
some of his writings, he mentioned that basically when we had that big spread in between the Shanghai and COMEX gold prices, turns out later that China was actually taking delivery of gold from the COMEX, which I don't think that we have seen that before. And I knew it. I, that was I something was that I, I wondered about where he was mentioning how it's not easy for most counterparties and perhaps uh, if China wants to block a bank from arbitraging that, they probably could. Although I, I remember it popped in my head. I'm like, well, why wouldn't the Chinese government want to take the gold at the lower price? And it seems like they did that. And, and I'll let you take over there. I know it sounded like you had a comment on that. No, I just I think it's, I think it's genius. And, and I always felt that that's I thought it would happen on, on the Moscow exchange. That they just all they needed to do when they were going to set their own AM and PM fix to set the prices much higher and it would arbitrage everything over there. It's it's genius, in my opinion. Oh, they gave us all sorts of reasons why this was happening. I said, bullshit. I think Vince is a very smart dude, and I I'm a fan of his his work, and I agree with him completely and totally. This is their way of slowly turning up the heat, playing their gold card. And slowly turning up the heat. You arbitrage these traders will arbitrage for five cents a share let alone 110 bucks an ounce of gold or two bucks an ounce of silver. They know that if they do it just enough, not too much to attract too much attention, but just enough to, for these people to say, shit, that, that's a great value. Let's set, let them take delivery. We'll make an extra $100 an ounce on, you know, hundreds of thousands of ounces or whatever it may be. It's a nice payday. They don't care what they're doing to this country or to the, to the old adage that he who has the gold makes the rules. This is what they are doing. You'll see it go even higher, I believe, ultimately. And, you know, it goes part and parcel as far as I'm concerned with, with all of these off exchange over the counter deals that are, they're trying any way they can to get the metal because I think they know in the end that is what is going to matter. It will be part of a new monetary system, period. It's not an investment for these folks. It's money and they're using it, I think, in the back of their mind, they, they will figure out any way to creatively accumulate it without awakening the masses. And, you know, how many mainstream channels are telling you that gold was priced 100 bucks higher in Shanghai and silver two bucks higher than on the LBMA or the COMEX? Not a damn one. They're all pathetic. You got to hear it from me and you and Vince and you know, all these people that are saying, why is this happening? And then some of them will give us lame excuses why. No, it's not, it has nothing to do with currency controls or any of this crap. It has to do with the fact that they're smart and they realize there will come a point where this make-believe COMEX price will not be enough for people to let go of the metal. And I think if you slowly turn up the heat, you will end up arbitraging a large portion of it. I think that's exactly what's happening. And I think it will continue to happen. Um, because this make-believe Western price, I think, is people are going to think twice before selling large or delivering large amounts of metal at these prices by or specifically being naked short in this environment, I think, is a recipe for disaster when you have sovereign nations like China standing for delivery. Yeah, and for understandable reasons, I suppose, as again, won't... <laughs> Won't beat on the treasury market again today. I mean, at some point it is what it is, although you look at the dynamics of it and and I maybe we've entered that phase where foreign counterparties or buyers of treasuries are past the point of wondering what happens, except <coughs> if, 
going and making arrangements around that. And speaking of- I think of it's that the world knows that the debt path that we are on, Chris, is not sustainable anymore. I, I think that's really the bottom line of it. They realize that a new monetary regime is coming where it will be tied to gold and silver. This is why you're seeing the increasing, the massively increasing central bank purchases where you know, you got the top 33 central banks right now are averaging 66 tons of gold per month. That's almost three times higher than it was on average over the last five years. You got the banks are doubling down their acquisition of, of gold and of silver and of copper and of all of the rare earths and everything they need to build a war chest. And the people in the West are fixated once again on debt instruments and opaque promises. And the rest of the world is miles ahead of of the sophisticated investor in this country who will wake up and be totally screwed and get hit in the head by a 103 mile an hour fastball because they didn't see it coming. And, you know, the few people who are listening to this show have at least a fighting chance as far as I'm concerned. And I read that article and that article you have up right there is exactly what we're saying. The, the, the world is just saying, hey, how much more are we going to take of this? Yeah, and we see here, I'll read this one paragraph where they mention the close relationship with China and Saudi Arabia, taking another step forward as the central banks of both countries have agreed on their first currency swap worth a maximum of 50 billion yuan over the next three years. So that's about $7 billion. And again, facilitating trade that once used to be dominated by the petrodollar that no longer needs to involve the dollar and usage between that, so. Yeah, and for people who don't understand what a currency swap is, it's it's exchanging of interest in principle, usually mostly interest, but principle in one currency for the same in another. Uh, it allows companies that are doing business abroad uh, to, they will often use currency swaps to get a more favorable loan rate in a local currency than if they borrowed money, especially US dollars, from a, from a different US dollar-based or SWIFT-based bank, because especially with rates as high as they are right now, it's costing them a lot of money. So they're, you know when, when, when the BRICS meeting ended in August, that was one of the promises that they made was that, well, until we come back with some sort of an agreement on a, uh, on a communal settlement currency, we're going to all trade on, on the Project M bridge, M is in money, that's that cross-border system that allows these countries to trade with one another, uh, even their central bank digital currencies, uh, without using the SWIFT system. And that's exactly what they're, what they're doing here. They're trading with one another in their local currencies, getting preferred rates, uh, preferred interest rates, and, and all of that settlement outside the dollar, little by little by little. This is the logarithmic decay that chips away at the hegemony of the dollar. And at, at some point will affect not only the settlement, status of the dollar, but more importantly, it's reserve status. And I think this is something that, you know, you will expect to see more and more and more of. And then you have countries like Venezuela, who has almost 18% of the world's total oil reserves, again, in and of themselves, not imposing, but add all of these countries together who are finding safety in numbers, they have just publicly said that they want to become a full-fledged member of BRICS, as did Pakistan, as did Nigeria. You talk about Nigeria, you put all these countries together and then throw Nigeria into the mix, 
you're talking 80% of all the world's oil and 73% of all the global gas reserves you put in all these new countries. And it's not a joke. This becomes very real. And when you have 27 other countries that have formally applied or expressed interest in joining the BRICS, all of the ones that have been admitted so far are either central to shipping routes and lanes or massively resource rich. And you will see this trend continue. And these will be the nations that will control the, the majority of the world's energy and the world's commodities, including like President Wadudu uh, of, um, of uh, I always forget this, uh, Indonesia, who is calling for an OPEC style cartel of rare earth metals. Here again, we didn't think this through very well. Most of the metals that you need to build batteries are found in Indonesia and China and the, and the Eurasian continent, um, not very well thought out. And all of these countries are on the Belt Road or joining BRICS, the ones that are accumulating all the gold. They're on the Belt Road, they're in BRICS, they're in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, they're in the Eurasian Economic Union, all of these countries that, you know, like if you look at the countries who have bought gold so far this year, China, the one that sticks out is Poland. They're massively buying it kind of the outlier but you got turkey who was told by the eu no you're out and now they're striking deals with russia for natural gas russia wants them to be the natural gas hub for europe you got india uzbekistan they're part of the eurasian economic union the philippines russia these are all countries that these are all the countries that are accumulating gold and these are all the countries that will be on the belt road will ultimately be on the bricks and the west is void of any of this type of accumulation of, of assets, of commodities. They're the ones selling it all, leaving the West, going to the East and the countries that are building a new system and finding safety in numbers. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a scary thing. And this is the part that people don't get because they don't see the plotting nature of it. They don't see, this is how you do it the right way. You know, it's a lot easier just to, it's kind of like when you're really pissed off at someone and just furious, you want to call them or text them and Tell them what an idiot he or she is. But then if you just sleep on it and, and just do it the right way, plot, you know, get your revenge the right way. Well, that's what they're doing. They're getting their revenge against the Western hegemony the right way. They're not doing it off the cuff. And I think it's important to understand that if you take a look and see who's accumulating all the world's commodities, it ain't the West. And it's all the countries like, like China, like Saudi Arabia, and all of the countries associated with them. Who are, who are finding, um, like I said, a good amount of safety in numbers and thus creating one hell of a formidable entity uh, in every single way, militarily, population-wise, GDP-wise, natural resource-wise, I mean, in everything that means something. And, and they're doing it the right way. So until it happens, there'll be lots of naysayers. And that's why I talk about logarithmic decay. Every one of these things that we talk about is like one axe swing at the, at the tree. One and one and one and one. And you keep hitting the damn thing until finally, bang, it falls over. But that's what's going to happen. Just a matter of when and how. And that's why so many people will be caught off guard because they don't believe that each axe swing means anything. Oh, bullshit. It means nothing. The dollar will be king forever until it's not. And when it's not, you can tell by the chessboard that they're making, it will be one hell of a very, very, very strong chessboard where it's checkmate. It ain't even check. You got nowhere to run. When they say checkmate, 
you will have such a huge group of countries that represent the lion's share of the world's commodities and of human population and of global GDP and of military might. I mean, go on and on and on. And we have a country that it ain't like it once was. It ain't like it was after World War II, a united country. We're not that way anymore. We're a bunch of wallflowers. We don't work like the uh, the people in World War II, that generation did. We, we, you know, everyone is either getting loans to go to college or their parents paid for it. Everyone from World War II era, from the 50s back, oh, they worked two jobs to put themselves through school or whatever it was. There's just the whole thing is different. Everything. The way that we associate with one another, the way we speak to one another, our unity or lack of, the divisiveness this is all part of it. So you put it all together. Yeah, this is a big deal. I mean, we're talking about history, crossing a Rubicon, where things are going to change in this country at some point. And the worst part about it is that because people don't see each act swing as being substantive in and of itself, they are leading the masses to slaughter. And it, it's one of these deals where if you don't think for yourself, you're dead in the water. And and then ask yourself, what would be so bad with preparing for a hurricane of, of financial proportions? What would be so bad? What are you going to miss out on? Not much. And um, I think the downside risk is far, 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 far less in terms of downside risk in gold and silver. And it's not even then the upside, because that upside is something I'm not really looking forward to. I think it's more along the lines of the risk of not being a contrarian right now increases exponentially the likelihood of being a victim more than anything else. Not being rich, but being a victim. Well, I hear you. And uh, again, we got a taste of that back in 2008. Uh, certainly was an eye-opening experience for people. And I hear uh, there's one friend I talk with quite a bit who mentions he you know, can't really see the U.S.'s role in the world changing, and although when I mentioned, uh, well, a lot of people didn't see what happened in 2008 coming, and that changed, it's kind of a similar view of how people look at the housing market, and and of course, when you look at the response since then, which was to borrow and print and puff it back up, which is where it leaves us now, um, yeah, I think I think we're headed there. That's why it's uh, hard for people to digest. I mean, it's a tough thing to think about day after day when at least you're covering what we're covering. Um, I guess that's... Dude, it's exhausting. I took a week off last week. I needed to decompress. And I came back and fig I felt like I literally have never even looked at... I, I just felt lost. Spending the last couple of days trying to get back up to speed. It's exhausting mentally almost debilitating sometimes. And you and I have gone on walks and talked about the, the weight of the world that we feel sometimes. I get it. It's tough. But to me, it's shocking that we're like the lone voices, this whole little community of ours, um, that I almost everyone I've universally have respect for. A lot of the guys on your channel, you know, uh, Rafi and Kranzler, <clears throat> Vince are some of the best commentators in the space and it's a treat and I don't think people understand you know how lucky uh, they are to be listening to these guys who um, 
see things a lot more clearly than we do, than most of us do. And uh, certainly more so than the mainstream public does. And I'm glad to be a part, a little part of it. But yeah, I think it's, I think, I look, 2024 is going to be a crazy year, any way you look at it, with the election and with the fact that you now have this bank term funding lending program that's at all time highs, a hundred plus billion dollars that sunsets in March 2024, where this money has to be paid back. And there are banks out there that have borrowed as much as 130 or 40 percent of their equity from the Fed to stay afloat. And I think between the banks, between the economy, between the election, 2024 is going to be a year to remember. It's going to be a year that the history books write about. And maybe that's why you're seeing such an overt drive over the last couple of years to de-dollarize and position before, before what could be, you know, maybe the most important election of our lifetimes, really in many respects and the ramifications of it going either way. So I don't know, man, I, I'm, I'm glad to have a front row seat to it and to talk about it with guys like you who are smart enough to add color to it and oftentimes correct me on my overzealous um, estimations or, you know, maybe not so exact uh, um, proclamations, but you know where I'm coming from and you know what I think is going to happen. And I just think it's great to be able to talk to people about this. Cause I think this, the next, the next year, like actually the next year from right now will be the craziest year in most of our lives. If I had to bet, I really, truly do believe that. Well, thank you for that reminder that we have the election coming up in, uh, just about a year. I can't even imagine what what it will be like going through the campaigning, getting oh, up to that one. If we think we've seen anger, fury, and vitriol before, I have a feeling we'll be setting some new records. But Andy, before we wrap up, anything on special on the silver side this week in case someone wants a, a silver ounce or two in their hand to watch the theatrics as they go down? Yeah, it's the same uh, the same one that we had last week. And while we have three or four things on special, uh, the only, well, I'll make, name the three silver items we have on special. We have the Silver Nordic Mint Tree Bar, very cool, five-ounce bar, minimum 10 bars. I don't know why they put the minimums on these, but they did. $1.99 over spot. Uh, we have the Silver 2023 uh, King Charles Britannia 50 coin minimum 269 over spot. That's a hell of a deal. That, that is a really good deal. And the 10 ounce dealer's choice silver bar minimum four bars, $1.49 over spot. I mean, these are as, as low as I've ever sold them in years, years. In fact, that Britannia price is as low as they were my whole career. That has no increased markup to them from what we have seen over the years. And um, that's what I mean. That's, we've hit, we've scraped bottom on premium. They won't go any lower in this. I'm very, very convinced of that. They'll only go higher when some event happens that wakes up the majority of the people in this country who are, um, you know, in, in money markets and in, in uh, um, CDs and, traditional assets that I think have even these best laid plans need to be reevaluated. This is no different. Um, even the enticing 5% interest in the money market, I think, look, people should remember that when the bail-in laws were written, 
Um, they also implemented money market gating legislation where if, if the markets collapse, you can't get out. And they did that because Lehman Brothers had control of much of the money market industry in 08. When they failed, they brought down the money markets with them. People tried to yank their money out. It's called breaking the buck. Money market turns upside down. You don't even get back your principal. Um, it's interesting that over a trillion dollars has moved into the money markets out of the regional banks. Is that a trap? Don't know. All I'm saying is that, hey, you know, it's one of these times to think outside the box and that these premiums, they're as low as they've been ever in my career. Right now at 269 on, on um, Britannia's, they've never been lower ever in my career. Well, appreciate that. Appreciate you make something available to people each week. And for those that see a similar perspective and want to turn towards silver, at least nice to have something on special each week. So thank you as always and uh, appreciate the conversation and we will see what happens with just about one month left on the year, but get nice to see gold over 2000 bucks, silver positive on the year and good things happening. And we will look forward to doing this again next week. I love you, brother. I'm glad that uh, you're doing well. Happy Thanksgiving belated to you and everyone else. And uh, I'll see you next week, Chris.